Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Other Identity, your uh, Checkpoint XP's uh, podcast about all things superhero and the way that comics influence popular culture. I'm, of course, one of your heroes, the great Landis, and with me, as always, my stalwart companion, Professor Awesome. How's it going, Ben? It's going great. Great, Landis. Thank you for the stellar introduction, <laughs> and what a great summary of what our show is all about. Yes, in these tough times, we are bringing you fresh perspectives about superheroes, comic books, and everything under the sun. We have a good time doing it. We hope you have a good time listening. That's right. So, uh, as has been the case for the past few episodes now, how's quarantine been going for you, Ben? What have you been doing to uh, to keep your time, uh, uh, you know... Exciting. Uh, uh, I believe you just <laughs> finished your read of the Superman. Is that correct? Indeed. As we speak today, I have just this morning completed read of the Superman. Um, we, ent- we ended it with a issue of Adventures of Superman from the 90s that Arun and I both really love, which actually sets up the Superboy ongoing series that comes out of that. Um, it's been a lot of Superman for me this week because I also got up to Superman in our DC Rebirth Era Challenge, which I know you're dozens and dozens of comics ahead of me on, but I, uh, I did catch up to that, and I think you and I share the uh, opinion, and I, I put the equation on Twitter, which was, well, you said Jonathan Kent, the son of Superman, is the best thing to ever happen to Superman, and my equation is, um, and again, this is, this is me teaching, but dad Superman is greater than married Superman, which is greater than single Superman. I think with Superman, the more you domesticate this guy, the more interesting I find him. And I think that's a big reason why I backed away from the character in the New 52 relaunch, because they tried to make him younger, unmarried, cool, edgy. And I'm just, and even when they do it on screen with uh, with Henry Cable's version, I just feel like that doesn't work. Give me a Superman who's a responsible settled down guy teaching his son how to use his superpowers in a healthy relationship with Lois Lane and I'm just I'm digging it you know it's really weird too because normally when it comes to putting kids in different types of medias whether it's a it's a tv show or a movie or comics I'm normally not about that you know I thought that the the seasons of Dexter uh when he had a baby or had a kid were just the worst but it really honestly works for Superman and it's funny you bring up uh, Clark or, or, or Henry Cavill as well, because you know mm-hmm. last week we talked about the reason that I love Chris Evans' uh, Captain America so much was that there was like this this kindness, this this softness to him, um, which his comic book counterpart never had. And I just realized today, reading Superman Annual in Rebirth, where he has he has this moment with Swamp Thing, and, and it isn't just in this moment, but for some reason it was just when I saw this that it connected to me. But the way that he's portrayed in Rebirth has that same sort of quality to him that Evans brings to his cap that I think Cavill's Superman uh, was devoid of in both Man of Steel uh, and the Justice League. I would agree. I think the only character in the DC Cinematic Universe, if it's even called that, uh, who has that softness that you look for is, as as touched upon last week, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she feels like someone who's genuinely there to help, where he's Ben Affleck's Batman, Henry Cable's Superman. Um, those two guys who I want on varying ways to be beacons of hope and people I can look up to, they very much feel like, I think that's the problem with what they were trying to do in the, in the DC uh, cinematic universe for me was they tried to make, these are larger than life. We're so, we're so scared of them. These are gods on earth. Like almost uh, the way they do them, like the injustice comics or the injustice game where it's like, these are, these are these larger than life Titans who are 
struggling and we normal people can't possibly relate to them. I I like a bright, sunny DC universe where Superman's a good dude. Just what you were talking about. I want I want that softer portrayal. Well, and, and I think that that too probably really gets at the heart of why the DC films don't seem to strike as, as good of a chord as the Marvel ones do. You know, we've talked before about the way to adapt, not even just comics, but video game movies or, or any sort of medium. To adapt it to, you know, the silver screen is you don't have to necessarily do a perfect recreation of it. You just have to understand the nature of the world and the nature of the characters. And, I mean, you brought up before how the difference between DC and Marvel on the comics is that in Marvel it's this world where the heroes are sometimes uh, feared, sometimes they're celebrated, and it's this dynamic relationship that's constantly shifting. But in the DC universe, the heroes are always looked at as sort of saviors and, and heroes. And it's weird that at least when it comes to Man of Steel uh, and uh, Batman vs. Superman, that they sort of completely missed the mark on those. Well, I think they tried to marvelize it, right? I think they tried to make it so, hey, these are these are characters that are not necessarily trusted. The public is skeptical of them. And the reason that works sometimes when they do it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is because that's baked into the characters. The Marvel Universe has always been a place where uh, everyone with power is distrusted to some level. Uh, I don't think the DC Universe works that way. And again, I, I, I said before, I think DC's biggest mistakes cinematically have been trying to ape what Marvel is doing when they have this whole rich history they can tap into and this different kind of storytelling, this different kind of vibe that they can lean into. And I think that's what they do on the uh, the CW shows. I think of the CW shows like Supergirl and Flash, maybe Arrow a little bit, but Supergirl and Flash are not feared by the people of their cities. They're revered. And I think that's why those well, shows work. Even uh, with the Arrow, despite him, you know, probably being feared in the eyes of the public, something that uh, Stephen Amell was always tremendous at from the very first episode was again being able to demonstrate this this sort of kind heart and and this genuine uh, willingness and and desire to do good. You know, when he was Oliver Queen, he was always very likable and very personable. Yeah. Before we get out of this segment, I do want to jump over to the other side of the street quickly to Marvel because I did read something from Marvel that I want to heartily recommend because I missed it the first time it came out. And I was just, I was tooling around on Marvel Unlimited and I looked at their original graphic novel selection. So that's like literally 100 page stories or it's all just one story and it was released that way. And there was a book from 2014 where I was actually working there, but I didn't read it for some reason called X-Men No More humans. And it is written by Mike Carey, who may be, for my money, the most underrated X-Men writer of all time, and drawn by Salvador La Roca, who's one of my favorite X-Men artists of all time. So this is an X-Men dream creative team. And it's a hundred page story about basically one day the X-Men wake up and every human on Earth is gone. Wow. And how do they how do they handle that once they find out who's responsible where did the different X-Men fall? And this was done in an era where Cyclops and Wolverine were on opposing sides. Magneto is somewhere in the middle. So it's very interesting to see uh, how this is done. Mike Carey's a brilliant writer, super smart, super nuanced, and Salvador La Roca is just 
gorgeous on art. So I just wanted to throw that out there uh, because I know we recommend a lot of DC comics because we're doing our various challenges. I did want to throw something to Marvel there because I read this and I just could not put it down. Yeah, no, I've definitely been reading a lot more DC uh, than Marvel lately, which I should also look to turn around. Maybe I will start with this one here then. X-Men, No More Humans. Uh, give that a look, guys. Uh, coming up here next, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about something DC-related. That's The Killing Joke, which is going to set us up for a deeper conversation about the morality and principles uh, in being a superhero. That's coming up here in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hey, what's up? I'm Robbie from Checkpoint XP. And I'm Jake from the Overwatch League casting team. And together, we're your hosts of the Owl's Nest. With the Overwatch League up and running again, we'll be bringing you all the latest from the League and within Overwatch. But it's important that we all do our part to flatten the curve by staying home during the COVID-19 outbreak. So stay home. Stay healthy. And we'll see you every Friday night on the Owl's Nest before the Overwatch League weekend. Check it out at the Checkpoint XP YouTube channel or at CheckpointXP.com. Students are playing more video games than ever, and that's not a bad thing anymore. With Checkpoint XP on campus, you can peek into the world of college, esports, and gaming. We talk to personalities in the space like Phasix, who retired from the Overwatch League to join a college team, or thought leaders like James O'Hagan of the Academy of Esports, who's leading the charge on blending education and video games. It's not all black holes and floss dances. Games can lead to college scholarships, and we can tell you where on Checkpoint XP on campus. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to The Other Identity. If you haven't already, make sure that you're connecting us with us on social media. That's, of course, Checkpoint XP on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us individually at Robbie underscore Landis CP and Ben at Ben J-M-O-R-S-E on Twitter. We're uh, constantly, all day long, talking about comic stuff. And we'd love to hear you guys' opinions on all of that. It was I got to say it was a, it was something of a nightmare the other day when I knew I had to go and teach an hour and 15 minute class and then go to a meeting with my uh, my grad school group and this was just when you t- you you set the match of uh give me give me your movie hot oh, takes yeah. <laughs> and I saw that everyone was jumping I was like oh god I was and you, and you tagged me in it which I appreciate uh-huh. but I was like there's no way I'm not coming back to hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> mentions which was in fact the case, and then I uh, did my best to catch up, but I think I fell a little short. Yeah. So uh, where we're actually going to start today, uh, you know, before we get into this, this talk about morality and and the principles of superheroes, was uh, we decided to sort of jump this conversation off by talking a little bit first about the Killing Joke. Uh, obviously, one of uh, the most famous uh, Batman Joker stories out there. Uh, famously, of course, it has uh, probably the most widely accepted, as you know, much as the Joker's origin can be accepted, his origin story within it and uh you were the one that brought this up because uh uh, in your words you basically describe this as if there was ever a moment or ever uh, a time when batman should have ended the joker this was it and um after having reacquainted myself with it i also watched the movie uh i i disagree oh really okay well well a good discussion then but i mean look We'll talk about in the third segment our broader feelings about heroes killing, but for me, Batman the Killing Joke, first of all, just to assess it as a work, uh, written by Alan Moore, art by Brian Boland, two all-star legendary creators. The art in this book is 
phenomenal. Brian Boland has this style where it looks like it's almost sculpted, which I always enjoy. Alan Moore, of course, there's a case for him as the greatest superhero writer of all time. That being said, this to me is one of the lesser Alan Moore works. Um, I do enjoy the Joker origin stuff, but I've never been, I'll just, just to talk about the elephant in the room, I've never been a fan of what happens to Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, in the comics version, Barbara Gordon is shot, paralyzed, leads to her becoming Oracle, which I thought was a great reinvention of the character, but did feel very much like they were just using this strong female character to motivate shock value, give Batman something to push back against. I didn't, I didn't love that about it, and that's always stuck with me. The reason I, and I guess my reaction to that and the degree to which I don't like that moment is kind of like, well, if Batman's ever going to kill the Joker, it would be after he just brutally maimed one of his colleagues and then also kidnaps Jim Gordon, tortures him, tries to push these guys as far as they can go. I do think the story is about, you know, if Batman is pushed as far as he can go, the difference between Batman and the Joker and even between Gordon and the Joker is these guys are still going to do it the right way. They don't want to become the Joker. And I'm not saying I necessarily advocate the killing of the Joker in this story, but I do feel the Barbara Gordon stuff pushes me as far as I could to really want to see him dealt with. Yes, and I am up to you on all of those points right there. Uh, I think where where it differs for me is in the way that Commissioner Gordon reacts to it, right? Because he, I think, has always been always been one of the ones that sort of helps to ground Batman and what his potential consequences could be within the real world, right? I think that right. you know, him showing up and uh, the fact that you know, Jim basically says, like, we need to still do this by the book. You know, the right. fact that he wasn't broken by what the Joker did, uh, I think that, the, that that's where, w- with Jim being grounded, because he has more of a reason than than Batman does to be angry Certainly. and want it. And the fact that we see him so stalwart, I think erases any any notion that Batman would have sort of went off the hinges. Um, and, and I also agree with you, too, that, that, that I think that, you know, what they did to Barbara Gordon was definitely the idea here was for shock and was to push it as far as they could. Um, mm-hmm. But I think w- where they could have driven that home further was in Gordon's reaction or, or in the way that he dealt with. I actually wish that this would have been a little bit longer and we could have got more of a look into what Jim Gordon was feeling and what he was going through and how he coped with that in the moment to be able to stay so uh, uh, I guess stalwart you know uh, uh, against the Joker's attempts that's a really good point because I feel like uh, again the killing joke technically is a great story because it's well written it's got great art and the storytelling is strong but if there's a weakness I would agree with you is that Jim Gordon is the fulcrum of this story he is the point around which it pivots you are Absolutely 100% correct in saying that the reason Batman does not kill the Joker is because Gordon's standing there to say, we need to do this by the book, and that's a powerful moment. I would love to get more inside Jim Gordon's head and understand why, even when this maniac has shot your daughter in the spine and paralyzed her, why does that not push you over the edge? What about your makeup and your character makes you... Like you said, so staunch, so committed to we have to do this by the book. And it's almost like this is very much a Joker story. And the origin aspects of the Joker and the fact that he's just a guy having a bad day, I 
like that, and I feel like they've used that moving forward. I don't think the Joker should ever have a definitive origin, Correct. but I do think that's that's a good one to make a potential one. This is an okay Batman story. Um, I think it could have been a great Jim Gordon story See, if he got a little more spotlight. What, what I think I would have liked is when Batman shows up instead of Jim Gordon, you know, being sort of you know in control and basically you know do this by the book Batman type deal. Is if once he was let out, if Jim Gordon would have went off the rail, if he would have pushed yeah. himself to almost kill the Joker, and Batman then has to be the one that reigns him back in, that would have been interesting. That would have been something to see. I just think, yeah, I just think. Uh, bottom line is that, that I think it needs. I think this story needs more Jim Gordon. I don't think he can be a passive observer who's just kind of captured and then at the last second says, "No, Batman, don't do it." I think you're right. We need to see him lose it. And then why does he get it back? Or why does Batman help him get it back? I, I think I think definitely more Gordon would have made this a better story. And it's not a bad story, but I, I think that's what it's missing. I think you, you keyed it very All right. Well, coming up in a second here, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, why superheroes shouldn't kill uh, and uh, whether or not they should. The morality and the principles of heroes when it works and when it doesn't. Coming up here in just a minute. Calling all cosplayers. Don't let this quarantine stifle your creativity. We want to see your best quarantine cosplay. Upload your best cosplay that you've created during your stay at home to get in the running to score $100 from Joanne Fabrics and Craft Store towards your next cosplay adventure. Whether it's a completed masterpiece or a collage of the process, make sure to upload your photo today to win at CheckpointXP.com slash contest. Hey, what's up? It's James. And Robbie. Hey, and it's Weird Beard. And we're bringing you a brand new radio show called Checkpoint XP. You don't have to be an expert, even though I am. And we're here to give you everything you need to know about the world of video games. Interviews from the biggest professionals and your everyday gamers. We've got you covered at Checkpoint XP. Whether you're a professional player or somebody who hasn't played in a while, we have something for everybody. Hang out with us at Checkpoint XP every single week on your radio. Find out where we're playing in your hometown at our website, CheckpointXP.com. So if you're looking to have some fun and talk about video games, we got the rundowns for things that matter to you. Checkpoint XP. Your home for esports and gaming. Got it that time. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for sticking with us here through The Other Identity. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to us, you're downloaded, you're subscribed to the feed. But what you should do if you want to help us out just a little bit more is you should also be recommending this feed to your friends. One of our previous episodes actually just recently hit 1,000 downloads, so we're well on our way. But help us by recommending everything to your friends, uh, leaving us some reviews, too, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. Uh, I don't know which of those we're able to read, but if you leave any podcast and we see them, We'll read them here on the show and give you a personal shout-out. So uh, what I'd like to talk about here, what we kind of uh, set up a little bit with the last segment they were talking about, the killing joke, is this idea about whether or not superheroes should kill. Now, obviously, for some heroes, this is, I think, at the core of their principles. You know, what makes them who they are? Superman, Batman, 
the Flash. Um, I don't think that you see it as much in Marvel's side. You know, right off the top of my head, I feel like this is definitely more of sort of a DC concept around certain heroes. So, uh, Ben, uh, I want to start with you. Just sort of in general, what do you think of the idea uh, that superheroes shouldn't kill? I think the idea that superheroes don't kill is what distinguishes them uh, from not just the villains, but from the vigilantes, if you will. I think that journey of I refuse to take a life should be important and intrinsical to the character. Uh, I say this as someone who grew up in the 90s where characters like the Punisher, Cable, Deadpool, uh, and like dark versions of Superman and Batman were in vogue and everyone was taking lives. And to me, when a Superman, a Batman, a Flash, even a Captain America in that age, uh, would say, no, I will not cross this line. What makes me different from the forces I'm fighting against is that I will find a way to rehabilitate my enemies, or I will see them punished in a way that leaves them alive. That, to me, made them stand out. And that was why certain heroes grabbed my attention as a kid and moving forward. I would, I think I was, I, I was, I would see the cables of the world who were just like, no, if, if, if a bad guy's bad, we kill him. Okay, that's that's cool. And then I would see, you know, a character like Hawkeye, who, when I was a kid, refused to kill and actually divorced his wife over the fact that she killed a character. Um, that, to me, was fundamental. This is why this this person is a superhero, because they're able to make that choice of, I don't want to do this. The Punisher, obviously, is centered around killing his enemies, and that's a central part of his character. And I wouldn't ask to change that. It would be weird to have a Punisher who didn't take that kind of vengeance, but I don't want every character to do that. And there was a period in the 2000s where they were all doing it, and it really bothered me. There was there were Avengers comics where Cap and Hawkeye were advocating killing the bad guy, and that just never worked for me. So, I mean, obviously, you know, in, in, in a general sense, you know, when you compare the likes of, uh, you know, are we a Punisher or are we a, a Batman or a Superman, you know, I think that that's easy to see. But for me, where it starts to become problematic, even, even when you take into the account, like, these are comic books, right? So we have to have a certain suspension of disbelief, right? Right. How is it that the heroes or we are the readers are supposed to sort of, you know, get on board with the idea that, okay, you know, Batman doesn't want to kill because he doesn't want to be like the Joker. He's never taken a life. But if he doesn't take the Joker's life, you know, on a long enough timeline, how many people are dying because of his negligence? Yeah, and I think the other problem, and I think that's spot on, is that that's, that's what becomes the problem as you go. Is like, it's very easy to take that moral stance of, well, I'm better than my enemy because I'm not killing. But when you start actually crunching numbers and looking at all the lives that would be saved if he just ended this one, yeah, it's a hard equation to kind of balance. Now, obviously, something like that, too, you know, uh, and, and I don't think it has to or should be one way or another. You know, I'm not going to say that superheroes, you know, should kill when it matters or, or they should shouldn't to me i think what it comes down to is you know uh, and, and this is a, a, a huge challenge on the writers but you know they need to find a way with each character to make it work you know i think one of my favorite batman ones uh, uh one of his reasons was it's not that he isn't willing to or isn't capable or doesn't even see you know the benefit in it that's yeah you know killing the joker you're right would probably save thousands of lives in the long run 
but his biggest fear that is if he starts, if he does it even just one time, even if it is for the right reasons, where does it end? That he wouldn't be able to stop this. Exactly. Suddenly it becomes okay, and the justifications for it every time get more loose. See, something like that, I really appreciate it when when the writers can find a way, even around crunching the numbers, for the character to make it work. Because we don't need them to be logical. You know, as humans, we're complicated, we're illogical sometimes. And so, you know, for me, when, when it comes to moments like this in comics where my suspension of disbelief can only go so far, I think creative... Uh, um, narratives or, or, or finding creative character choices around it uh, are, are the ones that really uh, speak to me the most. Well, there's always a good story to be told, right? The The good story is not this guy kills and that's it. And it's not this guy doesn't kill because. It's this guy doesn't kill and here is the reason why. Because he's afraid of becoming the thing that he fights. And I think that ultimately is why Batman doesn't kill is because he has had so much taken away from him by the Jokers of the world that he doesn't want to slide into becoming the Joker. And he knows, like you said, if he does it once, what's to stop him from doing it again? If he does it twice, why doesn't he do it every time he fights a bad guy? Now, and obviously, too, you know, when it comes down to it is that the heroes can't kill all their villains. Right. <laughs> and then what are we going to write about, yeah. right? But, you know, that, again, that, 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 that comes to, I think, you know, just, just finding interesting ways to do it. You know, I think when we look at uh, uh, the Marvel side, Spider-Man, for example, you know, it's not very often, at least on the page, that we see the direct results of the villains, right? So, like, for Spider-Man, it becomes this battle of, all right, you're doing bad things, I've captured you, I've put you away, eventually you're going to break out, and we know that they're dangerous, but if we're not seeing or if they're not talking about deaths happening, then, again, suddenly the suspension of disbelief is fine. We can say, all right, you know, people aren't dying, so they're technically not killers, and obviously someone like Spider-Man isn't going to attempt to kill someone who's dangerous, but hasn't technically killed anyone yet. I'll say this as well, from the storytelling perspective that you're talking about, the cool thing about heroes not killing, I, cool is a weird word for it, but the, <laughs> the interesting thing about heroes not killing, like taking Superman as the example, there was a story, uh, I don't know if it was the late 80s or early 90s, where basically Superman was fighting the Phantom Zone cr criminals, uh, General Zod and them, and he realized that there was basically no stopping these guys. There was no prison that could hold them. Uh, there was no way he was going to be able to protect Earth. So he does, in fact, there's a great John Byrne cover where it's basically Superman wearing an executioner's mask, opening a box of kryptonite. And in the comic, Superman executes the Phantom Zone criminals. And the reason it's a great story is because of the impact it has on Superman, how much it pains him to have to take this action. But it's so it's such an extreme case. And he has that Batman moment where he's like, all right, well, if I do this, do I kill Luther? Do I kill uh, Brainiac? And he is able to reconcile it with no, there are ways to stop. Luther without killing him. There's no way to stop these guys without killing them, but it weighs on him. I remember there were stories five, ten years later that would still reference this story and how much guilt and pain Superman had over the fact that even one time he had to use the lethal option. Yeah, uh, that's going to be have, have to be something that I check out uh, for sure, but I, I think for me when it comes down to it, it's definitely just... Uh, uh... 
I think in certain cases, your Batmans, your Supermans, when it's something that's tied to their character, that, you know, find interesting ways around it, tie it to the character. But I think in, in a lot of cases, it really just comes down to the writers finding ways to sort of get around that, you know? Obviously, uh, uh, I'm going to go back to Superman because that's just where the, the examples are sort of popping out. But, you know, when he has villains like Doomsday, who is unkillable, you don't have to worry about it. When you're fighting something like the Eradicator, who's technically not a living being, I guess, you know, you don't really have to worry about it. Um, and it, it, it really, in most cases, because I don't, I don't think the Green Lanterns have that... Uh, have that sort of code or creed about killing anyone, dude. I mean, they're space cops, so you have to assume there, there, there's something that works on a level of. I, I, I get that for a long time the the rule was Captain America is staunchly anti-killing, and then someone said, "Well, he was in World War II; he probably, you know, right. killed someone at some point." And I and I was okay with that. And the same token, I'm okay with the fact that Green Lanterns are cops. You know, they don't want to use lethal force, but there may be times when they have to. And I think that's an interesting story to examine. I think that's why one of the reasons Simon Boss is such an interesting character is because he is a he is a Green Lantern who is very practical in his sense of if there's a bad guy and I can't put him down, I'm, I'm going to end the problem. And I do think, you know, I do think characters like Green Lantern, like Captain America, there's an interesting story to be told. But tell me the story of why use lethal force in this case, but you're not becoming the Punisher and just, like, you know, shooting jaywalkers right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think the bottom line for me is, uh, you know, if, if it's not something – if addressing that issue isn't something that's going to lead to more character growth or an interesting story, right, when they're just in a moment where, like, this makes sense and someone's like, no, 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 we don't do that. I don't know. It th There's usually something missing for me. I'd rather you just not – explore that and just the characters know hey i don't kill and that's fine but if you're going to address the idea of whether you know to kill or not to kill there needs to be something more there than just we're heroes we don't do right. that um have you watched uh uh hunters yet no on, not yet on amazon we we might we, we might have to revisit this conversation right i know you recommended that I don't want to, because I want to say something, but I also don't want to spoil it for you. Mm -hmm. But this is definitely something we'll come back to once I do finally get you to 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 watch that. We'll we'll do a part two. Part two, yeah. I think this definitely warrants more discussion, and I agree with you that comics have come a long way from you know the Silver Age or even from when I was a kid in the '90s, and it was fine for Superman to just say I don't kill. I think there are stories now to be told. It's not mm -hmm. to you to the point you just made. It's not as simple as saying, well, I don't care because I'm a hero. No, it's I don't kill because this is the specific moral reason. And we we have a more nuanced sense of storytelling in 2020. And I want to know what the thought process is. And ultimately, I prefer heroes that don't kill because I'm kind of of the belief that rehabilitation is preferable to execution. And everyone deserves at least the chance to reform. And that's, you know. Well, and again, you don't want those stories to just be over sure. at that point as well. Yeah, I mean, that's why I never got into I never got into the Punisher comics because he always killed his bad guy at the end. And I didn't get invested in the bad guys. But mm -hmm. I, I tend to fall in real life on the side of, you know, I understand why. Why killing is necessary sometimes, but I, yeah, my superheroes again. I prefer I prefer for them not to kill, but I also want uh, where he's twelve year old me was fine with just they don't kill. Uh, me now wants to know well why. 
All right, well, and I think that's where we'll go ahead and end it as we are running out of time here. Uh, ben, as always, thanks for a great discussion and a great episode. Thank you. And those of you at home, thanks for the download. We'll see you guys back here next week. Same other identity channel, same other identity time. BackstageCountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Today, having a great music video can really help push a song to the top of the charts. We choose our favorite six of the best country music videos. From Reba to Hardy, go back in country music history and deep dive each of the videos. Text VIDEO to 45911 to see who made our list at BackstageCountry.com. Text VIDEO to 45911 to get a link to the list sent right to your phone from BackstageCountry.com.